Alright, welcome to another episode of the Melanin Entrepreneur. My name's Sina, I'm founding my own business while studying at university. I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. Today I had an amazing conversation with Kurt Henderson, one of the co-founders of NAVA. Basically, have you ever visited a new city and you want to find a cool place to visit but aren't all about visiting all the touristy traps and finding a local willing to actually give up the city knowledge and the, the hidden gems is really difficult? Well. That's happened to me so many times and Kurt's app finds these places for you and recommends places completely tailored and personalized to the type of experience you want from the city. So we talk about how he transitioned to starting his own record label to actually co-founding Nava with his friends. The, hum- the humble beginnings of Nava from an Instagram page to evolving into a business that secured 450k in funding and 300k in revenue to date, partnering up with some massive organizations like EasyJet and how that all came about. Always massive thank you for the support so far. It's been really, really amazing. And if you do enjoy this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. A written review would be really good as well. Share it with your friends. Uh, follow us on our new Instagram page. The link's in the description. And yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey, Kurt. How are you? Hey, Sina. Um, very well, thank you. Um, thanks for having me on today. It's my absolute pleasure. I've been... Yeah, I've been really looking forward to having you on because Nava is something that I've, you know, I, I've been looking for something like this for a long time. You know, before the whole lockdown, I was planning to go to Belgium, actually. And a big sort of concern of mine was, you know, I love going to cities and experiencing them, how the locals would experience them. And I guess that's something that you don't really get with, you know, just searching things online. Like if you search for stuff to do online in London, for example, yeah. they'll say, go to the Big Ben. It's like, yeah, but I want to experience those hidden gems that, you know, that only the locals know yeah. about. So I think Nava is something that I would, that I've, I've really been excited to come across. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm first of all glad that you've come across it and it's um, served you well. Um, yeah, I guess from when we started, we wanted to make sure we focused on really bringing out those, those cultures within the city and giving that person or people who are traveling that, you know, unique, authentic experience of the city. No more tourist traps or being hoarded into areas which yeah. are highly rated in larger travel platforms, um, but mainly focusing on what the city has to offer itself from a cultural um, perspective. So how do, you, how do you see Nava? How would you kind of explain to someone that has no idea? Mm-hmm. Um, so the way I'd explain it is Nava really wants to tie the culture of the city and the people. Um, when you download the app, it you would put your interest in, um, you would sign in, put your interest in, and then the app would slowly start to fine tune recommendations to you as an individual. Um, so not only are we presenting um, interesting cultural aspects of the city, but we're also trying to make sure it's personalized to the individual as well. Um, so say yeah. for instance, you're not so much into your pubs and bars, but you're more of a foodie, would present you more food content um, that you can engage with. Um, let's say you are a vegan or you're more particular and your dietary requirements would start to tailor the recommendations down to you of interesting places to go that serve you as an individual. Um, So we really wanted to create this tailored, personalized um, recommendation um, travel platform um, for, you know, people like yourselves who like to travel, experience new cultures. 
Yeah, do you think do you think it's kind of a thing now where people are kind of tired with going to a city that they've never been before? Obviously, they will go to those sort of touristy places, but mm-hmm. they're looking for more from that journey. They're looking for stuff that other people haven't experienced. Have you have you found that with with you know uh, interviewing customers or whatever? Yeah, definitely. Um, there are so many people who have said that they want a unique experience, and to me, that's what travel is about. If you're traveling just to share the same experience as everyone else um, who's been to those places, you're probably better off just going on Google Maps and just having a little browse yourself. <laughs> yeah, just go um, on Instagram. It's all there. Exactly. And you want to be able to be there yourself. That's what it's all about. The feel of that city, um, the culture of that city, the smell of that city, um, and just you know properly be immersed in it. Like no longer... Are you just looking at the high street bars and restaurants? You're probably tailing off down an alleyway to then knock on the door three times to someone opening that door and saying, come in, there's no electricity in here. It's all candlelit. But <laughs> it's a really nice bar. There's actually a place like that yeah. um, that offers that exact same experience. Um, wow. So it's, it's all about giving people authentic experience and making sure that they're, journey kind of is unique to them so when they come back and they explain it to people my journey of Sofia or of berlin or wherever is completely different to yours and then we can yeah. share those experiences yeah because the whole sort of app ta- it's all tailored to you it's all tailored to what you actually want to get from that journey i think that's why it mm. is very unique as well as you said yeah and that's one of the key things we wanted to focus on when we started so we started off as a instagram account um, in Munich, actually. Um, it was called Hidden Munich when we started. Yeah. And my two co-founders were living there and they started looking at interesting content. So like a lot of photography and they were uploading it onto this Instagram account. And before they knew it, they amassed a large following of around 20,000 users or so um, who were just really super engaged in the types of content. So they were looking at urbex as well. So urban exploration, jumping over fences and capturing unique sites that the (laughs) typical traveler wouldn't dare to do or going to really underground bars that should maybe slightly out the main city or um, maybe in the city that you probably just wouldn't hear of because the big, again, the big travel platforms don't tell you to go there because they haven't got 105 stars. Um, yeah, on their platform. Yeah, yeah. So we wanted to kind of capture the true essence of the city from a different perspective. And that's kind of where that that strong following started developing in Munich. And then we oh. brought it back here and then expanded to Berlin as well. So that's kind of how we got started. And that's where the that's idea... That's really interesting. Came. So the idea came from you and your, your two friends who lived in Munich were saying you know we see tourists and they're not getting enough out of the city like to the extent that we know the you to the extent of our knowledge of the city so let's create something that encapsulates all of that exactly exactly and like bring the experience back home to people who want to have an experience which is unique more tailored more authentic um and you know just gives you a proper taste of the city yeah like because there are so many of these like hidden gems around these cities and yeah i I love look i love discovering them and um the whole sort of novelty of not many tourists know about this place i think (laughs) it's something that very that very much excites me and a lot of people that i know especially as well but that's that's the beauty of it 
I feel there's so much a city has to offer. And if you don't uncover it from an underground way, you're not really truly bringing out or really seeing the culture. Um, yeah. I think one of the biggest fears that we have when traveling to new cities, and we always make it a priority from all the business trips that we've been on and my own personal trips, is to really go off the beaten track. Um, my biggest fear is sitting at a table at a restaurant and then I look around and there's only other tourists there and and then yeah. feeling like I'm in the Piccadilly Circus of that city. Um, I yeah, wanna, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I want to kind of feel like I'm immersed in the city and in the culture. I'm surrounded by the locals and they can give me advice on what to eat, what I should be drinking, really interesting places to go outside. I'll give you an example. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but... I'll explain it. Maybe someone who's listening to this will remember the name. Um, <laughs> it's like these massive domes just outside of Berlin, outside of, um, I think, small West, uh, West Berlin. Um, and they used to be spy domes um, from the Americans um, where they would have their um, satellites inside these domes and they would try and wow. intercept signals um, from the Germans and they put these domes around these satellites so the Germans didn't know in which direction the satellites were facing. Um, so they can then collect information in, in secret. Um, super interesting place. Graffiti there is incredible. Some of the best graffiti I've ever seen. Um, but it's like an hour's train journey outside of Berlin. Now, as a tourist, going to Berlin, you'd probably be recommended to your you know nice restaurants in, in the main city, not necessarily yeah. the the you know Kurzburg and Neuklin and those areas and um, you'll probably get recommended to MIT um, and those areas where there's more touristy places for you to go and eat and drink um, and then you'd come back and you'd be like oh Berlin was great and then you'd speak to someone else who's been to Berlin and they'll be oh my god did you go to the domes did you do this and you're like no I didn't go to those places where were they well <laughs> maybe you should have looked a bit harder or try to find some more local yeah. um, advice and where to go and what to eat and what to drink and how to enjoy yourself um, from a different um, and a more local um, way of the city. Um, you've got to treat it yeah. like it's your last time you'll ever visit a city. Um, so try and capture as much of that city and that culture when you travel. How do you, I'm interested, so you had the idea, obviously based, it started in Munich. How did you come up with the places in Munich? So how did you, was it just insider knowledge because your your friends lived there at the beginning? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was partly insider knowledge. Um, so that's how we curated um, all the content that we have. Um, on the platform yeah. and on the Instagram account when we um, when it was running um, full time, um, a lot of the locals would recommend places that they've been to, and know the kind of essence of places that we're looking to to capture on this platform. Um, so more local experiences, more unique, um, no big okay. chains and things like that. No, you're not your Wagamama yeah. equivalents, basically. Uh, more the underground local owned by an individual um, who's been cooking for years and has passed it down for the family traditions. Um, really cool places like that. Um, or new places that have opened up as well, um, but haven't really been heard of that are offering a unique kind of dish or uh, really cool underground bars and, and whatnot. Um, so the locals would recommend a whole load of stuff. And also searching online, um, 
to find information about um, places that are just so unique. Like there's a place in Berlin, and I probably shouldn't mention it, but it's uh, it's a cinema, and it's it's a cinema in a not so conventional area that you can go into. And I'm not going to tell anyone on this podcast where to find it because I know the locals will probably hate me for it. Um, but it's one place we haven't <laughs> put on the app because it's so unique to Berlin, and we want to keep that culture. We want to keep oh, it wow. unique. Um, but it's a really interesting cinema. And um, to, to find it, you'd almost need to dig deep online to find instructions of where to access that, that yeah. cinema. So there's even secrets that aren't even on your app. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how many cities are you in at the moment? We are in four cities. So we're in London, Munich, Berlin, and Birmingham. Okay, cool. How do you kind of choose your next city? How do you kind of know... You know, there's a demand here. We know that, that people are traveling and they would love to have this experience in, in this city. How, how do you know which city to go to next? Um, well, first of all, we listen to our users. On the app, when you're changing city, you can also vote for a new city. So like Paris and Manchester have been very highly voted for because obviously a lot of our users are London-based and Berlin-based. And obviously London being the more dominant one where our users are, are from. Um, are voting for nearby cities that they frequently travel to or would like to travel to. And also pricing as well, how easy and how cheap is it to travel from London to these cities nearby. Um, so what we found is a huge demand um, from individuals voting for these two particular cities. And also cultural crossovers as well is um, a very interesting perspective yeah. um, to take into account when expanding to a city. And and partnerships as well. Um, we launched in Birmingham um, in a partnership with London Midlands, um, who are a train service that used to run. They lost their tether to the government. Um, and now they've come up again under, I can't remember the name, was GTR, I think it is. Um, and we um, partnership with them. And on that partnership, they wanted us to expand um, to Birmingham to connect the train service between London and Birmingham. So it just made sense doing that. And what we saw yeah. was people traveling between London and Birmingham were downloading the app um, because they had heard about it through London Midlands. Um, so when they got to Birmingham, they had suggestions of places to go. They didn't have to go to your typical um, larger travel websites to get that information yeah, they could yeah. just get the local recommendations right there on the same app that they use in london that is personalized to them so straight away i could see that oh there's particular bars and stuff i don't like don't show up first on my recommended recommended list um, of things to do when i um get off the train yeah. in birmingham when you i'm interested when you first started it as an instagram page did you actually see it you know shifting into a business <laughs> Um, yes and no, um, because sometimes you don't always start a passion project with intention of it becoming a business. And yeah. Navo is by far the largest and most successful business I've run. Um, and I think it's because we didn't see it. We didn't intentionally go out for it to be a business. Um, we just saw it as something we all found pain points with in regards to traveling and city discovery that we wanted to find a solution for. And, you know, together we sat around the table and we thrashed out this idea of this pre-existing Instagram account um, called Hidden Munich 
which has now changed to Never Stories underscore DE. Um, for anyone who currently follows the I'll account, put the link in the description. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, and we, we we wanted to kind of solve the issue of just people being hoarded into tourist traps. I had just recently come back from, uh, I think, Sofia at that point, and I was talking about how my friend and I spent a while looking for a list of things to do before we embarked on our day. And we were only there for three days. So to spend an hour every day looking for things to do or yeah. in between is a waste of time. You kind of want to get stuck in straight away, but also not be taken to places that you might not like and also um, are hoarded with tourists. Um, so we, we wanted to kind of find a middle ground where we could bring people to these new um new cultural spots um but not also hoard them or you know make it so in their face let it be something that's personal to them yeah um to incentivize them to go to these places so we decided that we wanted to build a product around this a mobile app and none of us had built a mobile app before that and how complicated would this be and could we how would we build this personalization in what was personalization how do you do that with code and then we started learning more about machine learning and um, those sorts of personalization um, languages that we could then build into into the platform. Um, and how hard, how difficult would it be to 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 build that in and make sure that it was personalized yeah. for the individual? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where, how we transition from Instagram to product through passion, pain, and sharing the same pain points and sharing the same goals. Um, yeah. We just kind of aligned ourselves. Was there, was there, I'm interested, was there an, like an exact moment? Was there like a turning point where you, were, where you all thought, okay, this can be a business? Or was it kind of a slow burner where you thought, okay, yeah, maybe maybe it could be a business and it kind of, yeah, it took a while. Um, yeah, good question. I think, I think it was more along the lines of we spoke to people about it. So we just wanted to validate that it wasn't just us thinking about this as a potential idea. Um, but we wanted to validate what are the people who are finding the same problems as us? And let's speak to some of our existing um, users or followers on on Instagram and see why they follow this account. Let's try and gauge a, a better understanding of that. And then also speak to people in this city as well to see what they currently use. Does it serve them well? What experiences have they had from using those platforms? What could be done better? And what is their perspective on personalization? Um, and what we found was a lot of positive feedback, a lot of validation around what we were building. And then we just started literally building a prototype um, we built a prototype within a week and then took it to Web Summit. We had a, 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 a stand there and, you know, we just kind of featured what we had, the the images, these screenshots, these prototype screenshots. And people who walked past would ask for more information and we'd do a very short, quick, um, you know, interview with them and understand. And they would give us loads of feedback on how we could make this more compelling for them and whether it would be something they would use. And, mm. and what we found out, that was, it was definitely something that it was worth pursuing. What was the first, what was the first prototype like? Was it, was it, was it decent? Absolutely Good. shit. Um, <laughs> to put it bluntly, it was, um, yeah, it wasn't, 
it was something that worked and people could see where the, the potential was. But to say it was yeah. anything near what we wanted it to be would be a lie. Um, but what that gave us was fuel to keep yeah. pursuing what we were doing and to make changes along the way based on feedback and um, validation of certain features and um, business models. Um, I mean, you made it You made it within a week. So, I mean, I guess it, you can't really do that much in a week, can you? It's, it's true. But I think as well, like at that particular time, we were far less experienced in in building products. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's the case for anyone who's probably going into building a product for their first time who maybe hasn't worked in industry as a product manager or as an experienced business um, business venture builder or something of the sort. Um, so it was quite a new experience. Obviously, I've come from a business background, but it, was, it wasn't it was tech. Um, so coming into this industry was a, was a big step. My background is in design and I could make things look nice, but it wasn't just about making things look nice. It was making sure it was functional. It was something that yeah. customers wanted and validating that over and over again every single day um, that was the tricky part and the, probably the part we were probably slightly more inexperienced at um, so it took it was a long learning curve and uh, like an invaluable experience for sure um, just being able to speak to people and understand their perspective on the product that we were building and where we would shift it to um, yeah but yeah I think that journey taught us a lot and you know for anyone who's listening, um, I think it's very easy to say, oh, you're going to start somewhere and, you know, eventually with hard work, you're going to get to where you need to. But I will say, like, it's important to talk to people who are far more experienced than you, work with people who are far more experienced than you, whether it be on your own projects or not on your own projects, um, because you will learn so much quicker um, about particular things you should be implementing Um from the get go, yeah. eventually I got a mentor as well who would I would have a call with him every single week, and he'd give me feedback and managing products, uh, making product decisions, looking at data, um, speaking to um, users, and you know all sorts. And it was very helpful, very inspiring, and very enlightening. Is there like one piece of key guidance that always sticks in your mind from all of those mentorships and, and guidance that you received? It's going to sound very cliche, but if you're going to fail... <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> if you're going to fail, fail fast. Um, again, super cliche, but it's it's so true, and I'm very um, very connected with that, with that statement in the sense that Build what you think will work based on what your audience tell you to, um, based on the feedback. But don't always take their advice. Um, trust your gut a bit and make decisions which are pushing the boundaries of innovation. So always find that fine line of where you say yes to that and where you say no, I'm going to do something ever so slightly different. Um, because what you might find is if you pander to exactly what your audience tell you to do, then you're not really breaking you're not really breaking the barriers of of innovation you want to try something a bit daring but fail fast if you're going to do that don't spend a year building something that's going to be in quotation marks daring try build that same thing within a few days and just see what 
people think of it and if they say no to it at least you know you've you've trusted that you've trusted your gut and you tried doing something sometimes it may work and with those with those stories those are the things that may have been the biggest successful moment that led them to this particular point in in their business um but mm. yeah fell fast and um, listen to your audience as well there you go fail fast it's been it's been mentioned on the podcast before i have to say but um it's definitely a good piece of, of, of advice and i think that's something that a lot of yeah a lot of entrepreneurs live by because there's no point you know building something for ages and then no one wants it you just you just waste a lot of time and, and resources on it exactly exactly so you work you work with your friends how how is that <laughs> Because a lot of people, I think, would be their like worst nightmare. Actually, you know, it's their friends and they like them a lot, obviously. But in a work environment, it's very yeah. different. So, how is that? I'd say it's very nice. Um, it depends on how well you know the friend as well. Um, so, Tom and I have known each other since we were seventeen. I'm twenty eight now. Um, we met when we were seventeen through mutual friends, um, and we always knew we were very much into business so we'd see each other you know at parties and at events and we would always beeline straight to each other and have a little chat basically about what business we were working on how was it going is there any way we can help or work together and we'd always have these conversations at these parties and it was great to see that there weren't many people I mean it wasn't great to see this but it was interesting to see that there weren't many people um in those circles who are interested in business and starting their own business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you meet someone who is inclined to do that the way you are, you're very much attracted to that because um, you see it in yourself. Um, so we would always have these conversations about, oh, what are you working on? Um, what's your next business? How's that going? What was the process? Um, and then people would obviously have to drag us away at those parties. Um so it's not as if we brought the boredom to the parties. That's not what I'm saying here. But, <laughs> um, but we would just have those moments. Um, and then um, back in 2015, 16, um, Tom reached out because um, he, he knew my background thanks to these conversations and what I was posting on online on the various social media stuff. He knew what I was working on always. So he knew I was very much into business and my background was design. And I initially designed his first logo when he was 17 for his soap business, um, which he was selling in Greenwich Market. Um, so he knew what I was capable of. He always knew I delivered professionally um, and I was very serious about business. So it just made sense um, for us to connect. And then I met Olivia through time as well. They had already been working together on Hidden Munich when they were studying in Munich. Um, so we kind of all aligned ourselves and obviously over the years of working together, we've all become like best friends. Yeah. Obviously in business, working with your friends or non-friends, you're always going to have moments where there's a bit of tension, there's a bit of, you know, there's debate, but it's how you come together and find a way forward. That's most important. There's no point having grudges. One of the most important things is being able to trust each other, trust each other's decisions and if you don't, if you don't know or don't think that what they're saying is the best idea, you make your point heard. You don't keep it to yourself because if something goes wrong and then you're saying, "Well, I told you we should have done this," then it's too late. So you make your point heard, and if that if that point does go wrong or something does go wrong, 
now they know that they they will take your advice a bit better in the future so there's more transparency yeah um so it's always being honest with each other and being very open with each other so i'd say the relationship has been absolutely solid over the the, the last years of working on Nava. um we haven't really had any big arguments or anything of the sort we've always been aligned with what we've wanted to do and the team can definitely see that as well of how much we're in alignment I feel I feel like it can go one of two ways actually I feel like your way obviously it can go that way and it's it's all really you know it's all really everyone works together and it's all good but then I've also heard stories mm-hmm. where a lot of people you know their friendships are just ruined they just argue all the time because they can't switch off from business and it's just it's just yeah constant tension that's super interesting and i don't have a direct answer for it but my suspicion or perspective on it would be personality types being one yeah and how well those personality types match also what you're doing in the company so how how do you cross over um and what do you prioritize in the company a lot of people as soon as they form a partnership with someone it might be someone they know or don't know they start talking about equity, who's got what in stake in, in a business that's not even a business. It's not even registered yet. Yeah. It doesn't have a product. There's nothing behind it. There's no validation, but they're already talking about equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that, to me, is the is not a great way to start unless you're bringing someone into the business as a as a new founder or as a C, um, C-level um, executive. <coughs> um, but... Personally, I think it's better to, first of all, work out where your passion both aligns and don't be afraid to be wrong. Like, throw away your pride. Like, you have to because there are going to be points where you're just wrong about it. And the the sooner you realize that is the more healthy that relationship can be. If you're arguing over each other um, because you always think that one is wrong, one is right, we should be going in this direction and what that other person is saying is, is not true or doesn't have any factual evidence or, or whatnot these things are important to talk about and you discuss these problems and you know you again that transparency is so important um it's not worth throwing away a good business idea over your relationships with your partner um in, involved but clearly if there's an existing problem between the, the two or three or four of you involved then that needs to be ironed out um it's toxic in any company yeah, especially yeah. if you're looking to bring other members on to the team um it can be very toxic um so yeah we've we've always been a, a strong team of three and you know we've we've always grown like thinking very business aligned and from different perspectives as well i think that's also important to mention um each one of us has a different perspective on things i'm more of a, a creative tom's more logic driven but can also be quite creative as well and live sits in the middle so it's very easy to to, to work um, from those from those angles and know your strengths and weaknesses. Because you are you're always kind of you know I've I've looked at your journey. You've always been pretty entrepreneurial, and like you you started your own like record label, right? How like how how did that even work? Um, yeah, so that started when I was seventeen, actually. So a lot as yeah as the parties with Tom. <laughs> um, it. So I originally started producing, um, just playing around with music production. I'd never really done much of it before. And I kind of saw it as a similar process to graphic design, 
Um, so that's kind of how I fell in love with it. And then spent a few months, you know, making music um, to a point where I felt very comfortable with producing music, comfortable enough to be able to produce for other people. Um, but I didn't want to just be a producer. Um, it wasn't a dream. I'd always had that business side to me I wanted to pursue more of. Um, so I decided to set up a record label with one of my other friends. Um, and uh, it was called UK Fusion Media. And we signed. Um, so all of this was an entirely new experience for myself and my business partner, like contracts, legal contracts, yeah. um, production contracts, recording contracts, all these sorts of things were just completely new to us. Um, but we were kind of you know, faking it till we made it, basically. Um, and we made sure we put all the right things. We were getting advice from um, more uh, experienced business people who had done, who had worked in record labels before. So they were kind of feeding us back down advice and what to do. Um, so we signed a few artists. One was called um, Chuckles who um, later was signed to Warner Brothers from us um, wow. and worked with um, Hardy Caprio a few times. Didn't sign him, but worked with him at one point. Um, I'm kind of glad we didn't sign him, actually, because now he's doing extremely well. And, you know, I look at Butterfly Effect. Would that have had an impact yeah, on how he's yeah. doing now? Hopefully not. Um, so I'm really happy for him. Um, and he's he's absolutely smashing it at the moment, getting millions and millions of views per song. Um, but to think, when I knew him, he was only like 15 or so, um, this young boy with big dreams. Um, and then we also worked with another guy called Adrian Cash, um, who's now doing really well as well, um, and a few others. Um, so you always get your key artists and you always get the artists who have potential. Some of them just gravitate to what they need to do straight away and um, they get stuck in um, and some of them there's a bit more kind of let's try this let's try that a bit more creative yeah. um, creativity needed to get things going um, but that was kind of UK Fusion that was a journey of that um, Chuckles went on to obviously sign for Warner Brothers he's got one of the he's got a song on Spotify and Apple and etc um, and yeah he was featured on the first MySpace when it was big back then featured on the homepage of that, SBTV, Freestyle, you name it, everything, um, all the media outlets. So that was a massive milestone for us. Um, and then I moved into tech and set up a, um, a tech publication where we would cover the latest upcoming tech and innovation. And I set that up alongside my brother and uh, my friend, Lisa. Um, and we done that for like a year and a half, two years actually. Um, wrote an article nearly every single day. We didn't miss a single day um, of wow. articles. Um, like how long? New things about... Literally, we managed to do a whole year and a year and a quarter without missing a single day of posting an article. And this would be around things like latest phone technologies, VR, all sorts of things. Um, we were interviewing tech people, who were starting their own businesses in all the various uh, areas of tech. Um, and then obviously going to events as well. So we get press tickets to go to those events and cover it, film, write about it. And so it was such an exciting experience just being able to, and it taught me so much as well, like how to send cold emails, reaching out, 
um, to to other companies, press teams, um, growing from getting like five reads on your articles per day to like over 600 to 1,000 um, reads per day on articles. So we saw a massive um, change over the year of just constantly doing that. Yeah. Um, How did you do but that? The only issue we... Um, it was just make, making sure that we, first of all, had good SEO, so good link backs. So whenever we had published articles, we had mentioned um, the person in it and then they would mention it on their website. So it gave us nice link backs, a bit of domain authority. Um, and obviously, being the more you're mentioned on larger blogs and larger publications is the stronger those links are, meaning, again, much higher domain authority and the frequency of that, of those mentions. Um, so we covered a lot of like Kickstarter campaigns that were, were coming out. Um, one of our biggest articles, which I think itself got over like 15,000 reads within the space of a week, was our um, Swedish Innovations article. Um, so that was a massive, again, a massive milestone of that. Um, and it was covered by the Swedish embassy. It was posted oh loads. Wow. Um, so again, huge milestones, and it's important to so sometimes realize that maybe you can aim for milestones, and sometimes you just don't know when they're going to come out, when these massive little glimmers of success happens. Um, the only issue we had with the business, so it, was, it was just hard to monetize. Um, any publication is hard to monetize. Um, so, yeah, so that that's kind of where... My journey ended with, with and that was called Root Notion. And then I moved into doing Nava with alongside Tom and Olivia. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of kind of the whole journey distilled into about about a minute. How does Nava monetize? You talk about monetization. So how does, is it, I'm guessing it's through the, um, the shops, right? Um, so... Yes. Um, no, so we don't monetize with charging um, venues to be on our platform. Okay. Um, but we have made... Um, so we've raised around about 500, about 450K to about 500,000 um, um, from the top of my head. Um, and we generated over maybe around 300K in revenue. Um, and that's through partnerships. Um, so we partnership with uh, partnered with EasyJet last year um, to create us uh, in, an offering via the app, so the customers flying between London and um, Ber- um, Berlin could unlock these hidden collections and access interesting venues that they could visit in the city once they had landed. So EasyJet were looking to basically try and gauge where their customers were going once they had landed. So on an aggregated oh, level, okay. not an individual, because obviously GDPR and yeah, things like yeah. that. Um, so I guess it's, it's the data. To look at the maths. Yeah, exactly. It was a data play partnership um, to try and understand that. And also working with London Midlands, and Visa, and um, we've done some government um, contract stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've managed to generate revenue um through those options um and yes it's it's been successful from that side um so many companies are looking to understand their customers better um from different means um 
but it can also be very hard for them to access um, that type of understanding. So like, your, I don't know, your broadband provider may understand what you're searching, but maybe when you leave the house, they have no idea where you're going yeah. and what kind of interesting places that you're going to. And the reason why they want this data is so they can just market. They can market in those particular to those places where you and thousands of, of others are going to um, so they can then get more traffic and more sign-ups and things like that. Yeah, um, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you, actually. Why, why, like, for EasyJet, how would it benefit them? So I guess it allows them to then contact that bar and place advertisements there, work with that bar. And it's also a great opportunity for that, that bar or venue to, to generate revenue with the likes of a large flight company, um, yeah, easy jet. Um, so then they can say to that particular venue, "Hey, when your customers come through, tell them about the easy jet thing." Or they can put banners in there, and they can put things in their website, all sorts. Um, and um, then we're having that nice little um, circle of purchase. So those customers fly through easy jet, they go to those places, and new customers going to those places who haven't flown through easy jet are now being made aware of EasyJet, the prices of flights, interesting uh, destinations that they can travel to that they didn't know. Um, so it's a great opportunity for them to get more exposure to um, similar customer segments. Yeah. Was that your biggest uh, deal today, the deal with EasyJet? I would say so, yes. Yes, that was. And we went through Founders Factory, which is an accelerator program. Um, they've been extremely helpful for us. And EasyJet are one of their partners. So there was a nice connection straight away um, with them um, to to make that happen. Yeah, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask how how did that how does that conversation even start? Because for like a startup by yourselves approaching a huge, you know, corporate, how did that conversation happen? So we went to see EasyJet in Luton and we pitched our um, proposals um, of what we we could do for them. Because obviously they know we are a city discovery app, but are we just showing really interesting places to their customers? Because I'm pretty sure there's many other products that can do that. So what made us, what would make us so unique um, is what we wanted to kind of inform them of. Um, so we we proposed this one, which is the um, offering I just told you about. Um, and... They, they liked it. They thought it was a great idea. So they featured us in their in-flight magazine. Um, and obviously, when you're reading an in-flight magazine, you're offline, right? Because you're in the air. Um, but what we found is people would take pictures of the ad or save it in their notes or something, download the app, unlock this collection. And we could see how many people were unlocking it, meaning uh, they because they could only find out about that collection through that in-flight magazine. So we know they have yeah, yeah, yeah. a unique identifier. Um, and then we can then start looking at how those people were navigating the city, what kind of bars they were engaging with on the app and in that collection as well on the app. And then we can then say, well, this was your most engaged with venue. Um this this type of customer went to these types of venues. This type of customer went to that kind of venues. Um, so yeah, I'll say all in all, it was that that pitch was quite an, an easy an easier sell because it was something they couldn't they couldn't do themselves, and they there weren't many other competitors who could do the same thing 
at also operating on that flight path as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. So where do you kind of see the, the future of NAVA? Yeah, so scaling up, um, being able to help the local venues, we're all about local venues, um, being able to create some kind of offering for those venues to reach their customers better uh, without making it a platform which has 101 adverts. Uh, we want to keep that authentic experience. So we're not interrupting a user's experience. They can just see what they need to see that's personalized to them. And they can also maybe even get like, great deals and offerings um, that are offered by the venue and not compulsory to the venue because we don't want to cut into their profit margins because that's how they're effectively how their business grows. Um, and we don't want to be the downfall of that, of their business for them paying large amounts to have our service. We want them to have the flexibility of using our service um, and making sure that they can reach the customers and those customers are a high potential um, to convert um, to paying customers in their venues. Um, so that's kind of where I see the future of that. Yeah. That's, it's really interesting. And it's de- as I said at the beginning, it's definitely a, an app I'm really glad that I've stumbled upon because... Um, yeah, I I love discovering these like hidden gems and so yeah, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up and yeah, so thank you so much Kurt for joining me. Uh I loved hearing about your journey and and, and Nava of course. Is there anything like how how can people stay in touch with with you and Nava working uh you know in the future? Um yeah, um download the app use nava.com. Um and it will take you to the right appropriate link whether you're an iOS user or Android. Um or just check out our website and yeah find me on twitter linkedin um just type kurt henderson and you'll find me i'm wearing a cool hat i'm probably the only kurt henderson on google wearing a cool hat so find me by that <laughs> um and yeah reach out if you want any advice on anything and i'll be more than happy to help um but thank you so much for having me on it's my today's absolute pleasure have a great day and you too you take care of yourself Thanks for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. It really was a massive pleasure recording with Kurt and exploring the journey behind Nava. It's an app that I definitely, definitely want to use in the future. As soon as lockdown um, is raised and we can go on holiday, I'll definitely check it out and I'll definitely be an avid user of it. As always, if you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. And share with your friends if you like. Follow us on your Instagram page. The link's in the description. My name is Messina. I'll see you in the next episode.